Hello, happy Wednesday, and welcome to the Outspoken Leaders Podcast. My name is Jacob Kniep. I am the founder and CEO of Outspoken Leaders. We are a nonprofit dedicated to serving and empowering all LGBTQ youth, young adults, and future leaders. I started this podcast that you're listening to right now to showcase leaders and other influential members of the LGBTQ community. We here at Outspoken believe that everybody can be a leader, and we also believe that everybody has a story. So we decided to bring these stories to you. Growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, I was fortunate enough to have a loving family that was able to find me different resources after I came out. I was lucky to have other local nonprofits with similar missions to mine, helping empower LGBTQ plus youth. I was also lucky to stumble upon the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the only nationwide 24-hour hotline for LGBTQ plus youth. And today I had the pleasure of talking with James Lassine. James is the co-founder of The Trevor Project. He also wrote the short story, Trevor, which inspired the entire Trevor Project. James is also the co-founder and the executive director of The Future Perfect Project. And he also wanted me to make sure that I told you that he is a queen with a giant K-W-E-E-N. I was so lucky to be able to chat with James for our first episode. He had so much insight, and he had just so much love. I couldn't be more thankful to have him as our first guest, and of course, because he was our first guest, we did run into some technical difficulties right off the bat. Hello? Hi, James. How are you? I'm good, but I can't see you. Can you see me? I can't see you. I have it set up so that we don't have to use video, unless you wanted to use video. Oh, well, it'd be nice to see you, but if you don't want to be seen, I, I'll, I'll respect that. No, it's fine. I can turn on my camera. Just uh, um, a quick warning. <laughs> well, since I've never seen you before, I have nothing to compare it to. Um, I just feel like it makes it a little more personal. Okay, yeah, we could do that. Um, quick warning, I'm in a blanket fort. It's better for recording. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> after we got some of the technical difficulties out of the way, and after James talked about my blanket fort and how dark it was, we were off and started talking about his story. If you happen to be listening to this in the future, uh, just a quick note, we are recording this podcast over the next couple of weeks during the shelter-in-place sanctions. Um, right now we are going through the coronavirus pandemic, which has all of us trapped in our house. That's kind of how this podcast was born. And that's how I was so lucky to be able to talk with James. Um, so when I finally got to asking James how he was, I feel like it really shined through in his answer how philanthropic and how full of love and support of the LGBTQ plus community he really is. And 
you know, just talking to him about how he's doing really set the stage for the rest of the episode. And the entire conversation with James was fantastic. And you can truly tell that he has so much love for the LGBTQ plus youth and young adults that he's working with. And just, just you listen. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. And as much as I can be in this current world state we're in of, um, as, as one young person recently called it, our quarantine. Oh, I like that. Quarantine. Mm-hmm. How have you been holding up during all of this? Um, you know, uh, it's always best in these circumstances um, to do one's best, I find, to help other people who are doing less well or who are um, struggling. It just sort of takes some of the pressure off of my own situation or my own fears and worries it's to be able to just realize that we are all sharing this burden it's not something that's mine alone so that's been helpful to have um a focus which is basically um so for the past two and a half years i've been traveling around the country going to high schools and LGBT youth centers with my fellow co-founder of the Future Perfect Project. His name is Ryan Amador. And together we go around uh, the country with a small group of teaching artists and work with young LGBT and allied youth, sort of sharing tools of storytelling and song writing, uh, encouraging them to tell the story of their life. Um, we believe that the self-expression of LGBT youth and allies is a declaration of a better future for everybody. So we just want to give them as many tools as they can to express themselves um, and express this vision they have of a world that's coming into being. So with the... Um, you know, the shelter in place and lockdown, whatever you want to call it, that's happened in the past few weeks. Um, we've been scrambling to really find a way to be able to offer these workshops online um, to youth around the country in a way that is as in-depth and moving and uh, connected as the workshops that we do in, in, um, in person. So uh, as I was telling you earlier, it's a huge uh, learning curve for me and for us to move something that we do intuitively in, in, a, in a room in real time, real space to something that is digital, virtual, and includes young people who don't know each other in different parts of the country. So there's both challenges, but there's also lots of um, new things to learn and I love it. I, and I love that in these hard times, we're all able to kind of shift and adjust and still find a way to help, you know, one another and help the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, occurred to me um, after we did our first uh, online session was how difficult it was for me and how relatively easy it was for the young people that we work with they just like, it's just another new thing. And it made me think to myself how brilliant they are 
at being able to adapt to change. Um, that's really what, as a young adult, that's really what you're being asked to do. You're just asked to like sort of learn new skills constantly, try new things, take risks, um, you know, and you're constantly confronted as you move out into the world with sort of, what, what is this? And I was really impressed by their ability to sort of roll with this whole thing, you know, and, and for some young people, it's not so easy being home with their you know, families 24 seven, right? Like, especially youth who are living with um, families that are not so accepting, that can be really, really challenging to be spending all your time with people who don't really get you, right? So I was really impressed with their ability to sort of adapt to this sudden change. And I thought, okay, so here are people we can learn from, right? Like they're, right, they're right. kind of, you know, they're getting their masters in, uh, change and adaptation and trying new things like what can they teach us about that skill that we some of us have lost we, we've just lost we don't do it so much because we're in our comfort zone right which we like right exactly yeah can already tell james is super passionate about helping the lgbtq plus youth the young adults that he's working with and he's he's really passionate about the Future Perfect Project and everything that they're doing. And I have to applaud James and his team over there for being able to pivot so quickly and still provide a great resource for these kids, especially now when all of us are forced to stay home. But at this time, I really wanted to figure out, you know, why? Why is James so passionate about these kids who is james lacine where does he come from i really wanted to break down and find out the story behind you know trevor and find out the story behind the future perfect project and truly just find out the story behind james and his amazing love-filled life before the trevor project what were you doing where did you go to school to be an artist um, did you, did you always know that you wanted to be an artist? What, what kind of brought you there? Well, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be an artist when, around the time I was 15 years old. Um, you know, art, when I encountered it in every form was the first thing that really made sense to me in my life. Um, you know, I just, I, I wasn't incredible at, <laughs> I wasn't incredible at sports. I wasn't good at acting academics. Um, I didn't really enjoy school that much. But when I encountered the world of art, I just felt like this was a language I understood. And it was something that I wanted to learn. It was something I wanted to master. Um, and I, you know, started training myself and also finding any way that I could get training from people who knew more than I did. Um, you know, I moved to New York when I was about 22 and wait, wait, wait. I where are you from originally then? Uh, New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Okay. Not that far from New York city. Um, and you know, I sort of, I went to school, music school and did some things and try, you know, worked for some theater companies and, and then eventually made my way to New York city. And then I really spent, you know, my young life, um, learning how to be an actor, 
how to use my craft, how to write, because there weren't that many opportunities for me at the time as a, <laughs> as a, as a queen, as a queer, as somebody who was totally out at that time, uh, it wasn't exactly encouraged. So I started to realize that I was not gonna get the conventional roles that I uh, saw out there, nor did I really want to do those parts really. So I decided that I had to create some work of my own. So I started creating these shows, these solo shows in which I played many different characters. And one of those characters in one of those shows um, was the character of Trevor. And then that sort of took my life in a new direction. The character of Trevor. What an interesting character he was. For those of you who are not aware, Trevor was a book and then also became a short film that premiered in the late 90s. We will leave the link to watch the whole Trevor film down in our comments. Um, we highly recommend watching this film or reading the book. Um, but let's dive into who Trevor was. Where did Trevor come from? How did the whole Trevor project start? Are you comfortable sharing your coming out story? Yeah, sure. Totally. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your coming out story because I think, I mean, for me at least, my coming out story is different than, you know, most where I came out to my mom during an episode of House. So we got to the commercial break. I said, Mom, I have to tell you something. Oh, never mind. No, I don't. More episode, more episode, more episode. Another commercial. Mom, I have to tell you something. Nope, never mind. And then like the fourth commercial, it was like the last commercial before, you know, House Saves the Day or whatever. I'm like, Mom, I have to tell you something. And she paused the TV and she's like, what? And I told her and she's like, yeah, I know. And then, you know, the next day she found me the support that, you know, kind of inspired the idea of me starting my own nonprofit. So if you're okay sharing, let's, let's talk about your coming out story and how, how that kind you? of shaped you. How old were you when this happened? Uh, it was fifth or sixth grade. So what? Oh my relatively God. young. And what was the support that she found for you? So it is a nonprofit very similar to what I'm doing. It's called One in Ten. It's based out of Phoenix, Arizona. It's an amazing organization. So if anybody in Arizona is out there, go check them out. They're doing amazing things with, you know, youth, young adults, um, and just all versions of the community of the LGBTQ plus community. It's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. Fourth, fifth grade. You know, when I um, was in fourth and fifth grade, it was a very different world. Like, it, you know, it was a long time ago. And, you know, the thing that I always have to remind, you know, the young people that I work with, certainly, and everybody else, is that really, before Trevor came along, there was no discussion about young people knowing anything about their sexuality at all, uh, 
any question about their gender. That was not even a thought in anybody's brain. And the idea that a young person could know themselves was unheard of. It was just like people just had the idea that young people didn't know anything about themselves at all. And of course, every, talk to any young person and they know more about themselves <laughs> than anybody else. Right. Um, I love some, one young person said to us recently, um, seems very strange they want us to believe in a, um, a, 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 a higher power who has, you know, all these unseen powers. And, and yet they don't want us to believe that we know who we are. And I thought it was so, like, so clear, right? You want us to believe in something we can't see, and you tell us that what we can see and what we do know, we don't know. Right. Um, so I just want to preface, like, my coming out story, like, you know, uh, was a long time ago. And when I actually did come out to my, um, my parents, uh, I was in my early 20s, and I, had, I was no longer living at home. And it was really hard for them. It was really hard for them. They, um, you know, they found it very difficult to accept that part of me. And I think they, uh, you know, my, my mother, when I told her, basically um, made it very clear that she would never accept that part of me. She didn't want to just talk about it ever again. Um, and she wasn't interested in it. And she told me quite upfront that she was never going to change. And that was true. She never changed. Um, you know, when I said to her at the time, you realize that's going to make it hard for us to have a relationship if you don't know anything about my life or love she responded by saying, that's just the chance I'm going to have to take. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. But, you know, and my father, though, he was a little better about it. It made him sad. He felt, I think, in some way responsible. Um, and he tried to be accepting, but he, he, he just really it was not, it, it wasn't his, in his brain to be able to, um, like, he loved me. As, as did my mother, but they just wanted to know nothing about that aspect of my life. And um, they never met anybody that I was involved with um, in, in, you know, while they were alive and they're no longer alive. But, but I, I'm, I really am grateful to them because without that experience, I wouldn't know how important it is um, for young people to be accepted and loved, right? And, and I never would have written Trevor and I never would have started the, the Trevor Project and I never, this never would have been my mission. Um, so, you know, as my dear friend Eve Ensler often reminds me, you know, we're here to give the thing we need the most. Here to give the thing we need the most. And that is exactly what he was able to do over the last 22 years with the Trevor Project, with the Future Perfect Project, with his books, and with his different partnerships. 
Right now, we are going to take a brief break so you can hear from one or two of our sponsors. Um, Outspoken Leaders is a nonprofit organization. You can find our website, www.outspokenil.org, where you can make a donation to us. All donations are tax-deductible to the full sixth of the law. Uh, you can also find our merchandise store where we've got a couple of shirts and other accessories. All profits go straight to Outspoken Leaders where we help serve and empower all LGBTQ plus youth and young adults. Uh, I just want to, right now in the middle of our show, I just want to say special thanks to James Lacine and thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. Dear Diary, Sometimes I imagine that I will lead an extreme and glamorous life somewhere in the tropics. Sometimes I imagine that I will be famous and everyone will want to be photographed in my presence. Sometimes I imagine that I will die an early death and everyone will be sorry. And that is just a blurb of the movie, the short film, Trevor, written by James Lacine. The short story that, you know, really started it all, really started the Trevor Project, and really started James on his mission to help and serve LGBT and questioning youth and young adults. Of young LGBT young people. And, um, you know, probably best known for having written a story uh, called Trevor, uh, which I started performing on stage back in the mid-90s. And uh, then it became a short uh, film, which won an Academy Award in 1995. And that inspired the founding of the Trevor Project. It's a little 16-minute film about a 13-year-old boy named Trevor who um, realizes he's different, tries to um, kill himself. Fortunately, he doesn't go through with it. Um, and the film just sort of hit a nerve at a time when people were really not talking about young people having any kind of sexuality or, or a choice in gender. That was unheard of. And I think it just hit a chord and it was both funny and touching. And, um, and you know, the founding of the Trevor Project was a huge turning point in my life when I realized that, um, you know, how powerful art can be in terms of changing a cultural story. That little 15 minute story did so much to be able to change the next couple of generations that came along, offering them support. Um, and, you know, as you probably know, and your listeners probably know, the Trevor Project is the um, only national 24-7 suicide prevention and intervention for LGBT and questioning young people. Uh, it was started in 1998, um, and it started with a lifeline. And now we, there's Trevor Chat, there's Trevor space which is like facebook for lgbt youth um there's trevor text and there's still of course the lifeline which offers support um voice to voice so it's amazing journey that's um taken me 
as an artist, mm, well, deeper into my uh, mission, basically. And also, you know, like if you're somebody who's out there between the ages of 13 and 24 and you're struggling with loving yourself or being accepted or you just need somebody to talk to, you know, the Trevor Project is always there 24-7. Um, you know, the number which I will give you, it's 866-488-7386. And there are, you know, people standing by to hear from you. And you can... And also, you know, chat with people through the, uh, the trevorproject.org website. And, you know, that's just an incredible thing that lives in the world. And I'm so, um, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had some part in, in, in making that happen in the world. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I love it because it means that you're, you're passionate about, you know, what you're doing and you're passionate about your mission. Um, I do want to just throw a little you know, disclaimer out there, if you haven't seen Trevor, the short film, anybody who's listening, I highly recommend it. I don't want to say that it changed my life because that's cheesy, but I mean, it's really eye-opening. It'll change mine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's listening, pause right now, go watch it. Like you said, James, it's not super long. Go watch it and your life will be changed. As my Dear friend Eve Ensler often reminds me, you know, we're here to give the thing we need the most. And I think it's the thing that I needed the most was someone who could listen to me and accept me for who I am and see that I was a beautiful person, you know, and, and that I wasn't damaged or broken and there was nothing wrong with me. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. At this time, I'd like to read you a little blurb of how the Future Perfect project started. Since 1998, when James founded the Trevor Project, he'd been fortunate to be on the front lines as several generations of young people came to age. Often the young people he spoke with were in crisis, but regardless of their current circumstances or frame of mind, it was clear to him that their greatest struggles had been navigating between the rules of the world, which they've been forced to accept. And the world they envisioned for us, he is aware that young people still have plenty to figure out, but he also knows firsthand that they have so much more to offer. The current generation of queer young people seems especially equipped to deal with the challenges ahead, and they have a lot to teach us about what it means to be fully human, if they only listen. So, in 2017, James teamed up with Ryan, and they started the Future Perfect Project. The reason that I started the Future Perfect Project is because I started to see something as I was traveling around the country with one of my shows. I started talking to young people and I saw, I noticed something that I'd never seen before. They were just different than any generation that I had worked with. And I had been working with, you know, several generations before, um, but they just seemed so different. This current generation of like 12 to 19 year olds. And they had a social justice component I'd never seen in people so young. Um, they seemed incredibly knowledgeable 
not only about, you know, their own LGBT history, but also about the world at large. I was really impressed with that. Um, they seem to have this huge sense of confidence in their ability to solve problems. And they were really the first generation to have grown up with the answers literally at their fingertips. And I could see what benefits had come from having some support in like GSAs, you know, in the, in the Gay Straight Alliance, the clubs in high school, and having these LGBT youth centers around the country. And I wanted to see if it was happening everywhere in places that were more rural and in places that didn't have access to centers and GSAs. So uh, in 2017, Ryan and I started traveling around the country, going deeper and deeper and, you know, into the South and Midwest and um, to find out if they, if this was a sort of just a city thing or if this was something that was happening everywhere. And I was amazed, amazed to see the new generation was taking the definition of what it meant to be queer in a new direction and with the support that they had from each other and sometimes from their community, they were being able to accomplish incredible things. They're just so great. So our, our mission, part of our mission is to amplify their voices, um, collecting their stories, their songs. And uh, we're putting, we've been putting all that together into a podcast that we're going to launch later this year, which will showcase them in the, <laughs> in the most beautiful light. <laughs> And this is just a small example of one of the songs that James, along with his team, have produced and created with these youth and young adults that they've been visiting across the country. I I absolutely love, I even wrote it down when you were first talking and introducing yourself, I love the word, you know, amplify their voices. Like that, for whatever reason, just gives me chills to kind of think about, you know, another organization, you know, kind of giving a voice to the voiceless almost. And I know, and I love what you're doing. I, you know, I think that there are, what's so beautiful to see is to travel around the country and see these people in everywhere in all sorts of places that you wouldn't expect who are really for these young people and right. showing up for them and creating space for them and, and doing their best to, to change the story, not only for them, but to change the story that in terms of the way that people think about them. You know, I oh. think that there will always be uh, uh, young people who are in crisis. It's just, yes. It comes with the package, right? Like, it's just, it is a rough time to be a human being. Right. But I feel like something shifting where, you know, queer young people, they're insisting on a place in this world. And right. I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't want to speak for them always. I want them to be able to speak for themselves. And 100%. for them to tell you that, right? So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the Future Perfect Project. Um, I, my first question is, how did you and Ryan first link up and become co-founders, business partners, 
and have this idea? You know, um, in, I think it was 2013, uh, Ryan was the entertainment uh, at the True Colors Conference in Connecticut. It's the largest gathering of LGBT youth in the country. It happens every year. And uh, he was the entertainment and I was the keynote speaker. And I heard him sing. He was 22 years old at the time. And I just was like, oh my God, that guy is so talented and has so much heart. Um, and I just made it my business to find him at that conference. We became friends. And then, you know, five years later, when I began to notice this shift that I was talking about, I, I just, you know, Ryan and I were friends and, and I'm much older than he is. And I felt that traveling with somebody who was younger would be really helpful for the young people and somebody who has as much heart as Ryan and also who's as talented as he is would inspire them and they could relate to him. Right. Um, and yeah, it's been so, you know, it, he was the perfect person and he has been so incredibly helpful because, you know, he has skills that I don't have. And he, he is really takes care of a lot of the music part of it. And I take care of a lot of the storytelling part of it, but our, uh, talents and skills kind of complement one another in terms of being able to be of service to these young people. Also, I'm chatting with him next week, so we'll see if your stories add up. (laughs) I'm sure he won't say as many wonderful things about himself as I could say about him. Hopefully we'll get more wonderful things about you. So let's talk about, you know, what, what your workshops look like. Because it sounds wonderful. I, I really want to shine a light on what you're doing and how you're helping the uh, LGBTQ plus uh, youth community. Well, you know, the thing that happens in, in the workshop and how when we travel around, the thing that we always start them with is um, I start by telling them that when I was 15 years old, homosexuality was a crime and a sin and a mental disease or was considered that way by many people. And at the time, I, I just thought that that was crazy. I just thought it was a crazy thing that people believed because basically they were talking about me. They were talking about my ability to love, right? So I just felt like, well, that's not right. Like, I'm not, a, like, I'm not crazy. Um, I'm not, not like that. And like, I'm not a criminal and I'm, I don't feel like I'm a sinner. I feel like I, what I was and what I am is a lover and that my love is what they were talking about. And I just felt, I didn't go around telling people that and I kept it to myself because I wasn't crazy. Um, But I feel that looking back at my life, it's taken 50 years for that to change. And I must have been living in a future that hadn't arrived. And it's taken me that long to get here. So I started thinking about these young people that we work with and I thought, well, they must be living in the future also that hasn't arrived and be part of their discomfort about how they interact with the world is because they're just living in an old world and it's not the world that they would invent. And the minute that we tell them this, 
it's the most beautiful thing in the world because suddenly it's like they, they fall into time. They just fall into their own time and they, they kind of fall into themselves. And, and, it, and then we ask them to tell us some of the ways that they're bumping up against the normative. Um, what are some ways that they see in the world, like climate change, like social justice, like the racial issues, you know, like what are some of the ways that they, they look around and they, they say, okay, this, this is crazy. This has to change. And they have a lot to say about it all. Um, recently, we, were, we did a workshop and we made a list of all the areas that they felt needed to be addressed. Um, when we were finished, there were probably about 30 to 40 things on that list. And of all the things on that list, when I looked at it, I thought there was really only one that I actually knew when I was their age. Um, their, you know, understanding of how, of the world is like, they don't know how to fix it, but they have the desire to do that. Right. And they have a really strong desire that I've never seen in people so young. So. That's usually where we start. We start with that. Um, and even when, like for instance, when we're doing these online workshops, um, we're working with mostly youth who we worked with in different places around the country, right? So they, they basically know that about us, what we're doing. But we always start by connecting to ourselves and each other on a very deep level by valuing uh, the experience of young people and understanding that they know something that, that I don't know, that they can see a world that I can't see. Like, just like I could see a world or feel it, like, more like see it, more than see it, I could feel it when I was 15. They can feel the world that's coming up. And I have the, the privilege to be able to be in that world with them to visit it through their songs, stories, words, and conversations, right? So that's where we start. And, and then whatever we create, we create out of that. I love it so much. And I think you are just kind of adding to the fact that, you know, we don't give these young people the the voices that, you know, they sometimes need because like you said, when you were 15, you felt the future that you weren't quite in yet. And who knows the ideas, the visions, the, the, the drive that these young kids have if we just keep silencing them and not letting them be themselves and not letting them have a safe space to, you know, not only voice those concerns, but, you know, be themselves to feel that future that they want to feel. You know, I'm a big, you know, part of my mission is to really advocate for them and to encourage people to stop pathologizing their natural desire to rebel and to um, evolve, basically. You know, instead of trying to keep them in line and ground them and test them and medicate them and keep them like safe, you know, their job is to push against the normative and to try new things. And the way that I see it is that, you know, queer youth, um, and, and by queer, I mean anyone who identifies as queer in any way, right. um, 
you know, queer youth are really on the front lines of that pushing against the normative because their very existence depends on the fact that things have to change. Right. And if they're safe, then everybody's safe. Like it's been proved that in schools where, you know, young queer kids are safe and not bullied, everybody feels better. So to me, they're kind of like, I wouldn't say the canaries in the mine shaft, but you know, they're, they're, they're certainly the bellwether of something that is possible and something that has to change. And something that is coming, I would even say. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's so, so amazing and so beautiful. And most people don't know it, right? Right. They, they, and, and, you know, like when I was 15, I think the thing they said about my generation is that we were apathetic. And I would think to myself, I am anything but apathetic. <laughs> like, I care so much, right? And then the generation after me, it was like, it was the me generation. It's like, they're always, you know, and now it's like millennials have a heavy burden to bear. Like they're being, you know, distant in a way that I just, it, it, it what it does is it, it doesn't address the underlying problem, you know? So anyway, I, I just feel like one part of my mission is to get people to really stop it with young people and, and start loving them. Right. So you had said that you have kind of been collecting all of the stories and all of the art that you guys have been creating and you're going to make it into a podcast uh, sometime later this year. Yeah, we're going to launch it in the fall. Awesome. How, how is that going? How has been, how has that whole process been for you? It's been great. You know, we've been very fortunate um, in that we've been able to hire um, two amazing artists, um, Julie Novak and Emma Jane, and they really have the expertise to be able to record everything. And so they've been traveling with us and uh, sort of taking all this information and making it into something brand new that their skills are really uh, tailored to do. And, the, and you know, they're both wonderful artists in their own right too. So I think all of us artists, we, we all need to do, I think we just, you know, when you're carving your own path, you need to do things that are um, supportive of your art, but um, don't take you away from it, right? And, right. and that is such an incredible, uh, gift to have as an artist that where you're you're doing something that feeds your art right Ryan and I are also one of the things is he and I are also working on a, a music theater piece about this generation of young people called Q2 and it's you know a beautiful piece of theater about their love and their heart and what they're trying to do in the revolution that they're in the midst of making Right now, with the coronavirus pandemic and the shelter-in-place sanctions, it's really hard for a lot of nonprofits, especially the ones that you know work closely with LGBTQ plus youth, young adults, and others. You know, hand in hand, providing safe spaces, providing the things that even James is providing. It's really hard for us to offer. A lot of our services because of the shelter in place and the social distancing sanctions and the the reason that i started this podcast and we'll continue to do this podcast after everything's done the reason that i started is because i've been stuck at home and 
I wanted a way to reach more people. Um, so I really wanted to figure out how James and his team, how they're coping during the pandemic and what they're doing to stay involved with their community and with their youth and how they are supporting each other through all of this. So this podcast started because I'm stuck in quarantine. Um, quarantine. The, well, yeah, quarantine. I'm stuck in quarantine for the next <laughs> 31 days. Um, so the last question I want to ask is how have your online sessions been going? What, what kind of learning curve is there? What, what are you seeing that, you know, are you seeing that there's more creative juices flowing or not so much? You know, um, we just launched it this, uh, this past week. we did some brainstorming with some young people, um, in the two weeks prior, but, um, we launched it this week. And one of the things that I thought was incredible was how quickly young people from all over the country who didn't know each other were able to connect through the lens of their shared queerness. And that that is a language that they share. And that for men, like I said earlier, for many of them, uh, you know, they're living in homes where they're, they, they, they're not, it's not the full rainbow, you know, they have to sort of tone it down a little bit or um, tailor it to the specific needs of the family or the, the acceptance level. And so to be in a space, though it's virtual, where you have 100% freedom to express yourself and all feelings are welcome. And you can find a way to channel those feelings of um, even frustration or um, fear or worry or, you know, um, joy, anything, and everything's welcome. It, I think it's, uh, it's like a tonic during these times. And I know for me, you know, the thing that's helped me get through this, in addition to being able to reach out and really be of service to these young people is also my work. You know, that there's a way in which, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's a, a place I can go to tap into the deepest parts of myself um, and keep that flow alive, you know, that flow of life, even though I'm not out in the, in the world so much, you know, that there's still access points within myself. Um, it's really love, really. So it's what you're trying to access is love. And if it's not available on the outside, <laughs> you better be able to access it on the inside. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Um, that is that is one of the things that, you know, we we teach at Outspoken Leaders is, you know, sometimes the love for yourself has to outweigh, you know, the love for someone else. And you always have to remember that, you know, loving yourself is more important than than anything else really in this world. And if we can provide a space or an opportunity for more and more youth, young adults, or these future leaders to kind of love themselves, it, it makes my heart happy at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. makes mine happy too. And when this whole thing is, um, when the coast is clear, we'll come visit. Yes. That would be awesome. God, I love it so much. I just, I don't know it. I know it sounds cheesy for me to just keep saying how much I am a fan of what you guys are doing, but being somebody else in the, you know, LGBTQ plus nonprofit sector, it, it makes my heart 
happy to see that there's other people who are, you know, similarly minded, but doing something completely different than what I'm doing, but still empowering these youth and young adults to kind of be the best that they are and, you know, to create the change that is for the best for our, you know, future communities. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the most gratifying things about traveling around the country is being able to support the adults who are supporting these young people. You know, and often these adults are doing it in communities without a lot of support, right? They're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we were just in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, visiting, a, it's called the Uplift uh, Youth Center. And it's located in the basement of a Baptist church. And I just couldn't believe it when we pulled up. Like, they gave us the address, you know, we had had conversations about the the center, you know, there were about 30 kids who, you know, came for the workshop and we pulled up and it was a Baptist church and my jaw just dropped. And, you know, the people who run the center were not affiliated with the church. It was just that the church had decided to do something because it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't popular with the people in, in the, in the community. And, they did it anyway because they knew it was the right thing to do. And it was such an indication that things are changing. And we were able to come there and just support all the people who are making this happen and make them realize that they weren't doing it alone. You know, part of my dream someday is to somehow bring all these people who are doing this amazing work together and have them meet each other because, you know, people like you and, you know, and, you know, Deb, foreman who runs the uplift center and jerusha van camp and you know indiana like you you're just such superheroes to, have, to be making space for these young people and well i i have to you know applaud you in kind of taking a you know not great situation and you know turning it into a positive for other people which i i know couldn't be super easy for you so no it took a so lot one, of work it yeah. Took a lot of work. I mean, that doesn't happen naturally. I think you have to do a lot of work on yourself to be able to turn your own um, poison into medicine. Right. So that it doesn't make you into a, you know, a bitter and damaged person, really. Right. And I mean, look at what you have, look at the, look, look at the impact that you've made over the last however many years of, you know, all of the youth and young people that you've, you've really helped. And I, I have called the Trevor project a time or two and, you know, I would like to, you know, personally say, you know, thank you for everything that you've done. And I don't know, I think you should get as much credit as we can give you. So. Well, you know, anytime that I'm anywhere and, um, you know, a young person comes up to me and just, I could tell it's going to happen. They just walk up to me and they're like, I have something to tell you. And I go like, oh my God, here we go. And, you know, and then I realized that they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Trevor Project. Um, I just think, you know, anything that I had to go through in my life to make that happen, totally worth it. Right. I, it just, like 
I, you know, I, 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 I do it a million times over and worse, you know, if I had to, in order to be able to have played a part in having them understand the value of their life. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, you um, know, go ahead. So James, I want to thank you again for your time. Um, is there anything that you want to promote? I know that we're all kind of on lockdown. Where can people find you? Where can people find the Future Perfect Project? This is your, tra- well, your no, time. I will say, if anybody is interested in actually joining the Future Perfect online workshops, also known as FAPOW, <laughs> <laughs> which I love, the FAPOW, um, you can go to thefutureperfectproject.com and uh, there's a sign-up sheet. Uh, there's a way to be able to be in touch with us. And there's also a way to find out more information about the workshops themselves, how often they happen and what the format is. Um, We'd love to have you join us. Oh, definitely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I hope your, uh, your quarantine gets, (laughs) gets better. And I, I hope you guys stay safe over there. Okay. Okay. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. And that concludes the first episode of the Outspoken Leaders podcast. Um, I wanted to give a big thanks to James and his entire team at the Future Perfect Project and the Trevor Project. Um, you can find him and what he's doing right now, the future pro- the futureperfectproject.com. You can also find the Trevor Project at thetrevorproject.org. Um the number again, in case you missed it, is 866-488-7386. And you can find what we are doing at OutspokenIL.org. And we are on all the socials at OutspokenIL. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.